0: chapter 18 part 1 of sons of the covenant by samuel gordon this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by adrian paracellus chapter 18 part 1 there are probably few men or women so meek and lowly minded but have at one time or other in their existence felt themselves the hub of the universe if only for a minute an hour a day with mrs diamond whom even her best friend could not accuse of being meek and humble-minded the sensation lasted for a week to wit the eight days dating between the receipt of mrs duveen's acceptance and the actual occasion to which it referred it really showed remarkably well for her powers of endurance that she survived fancying herself for all that time the very essence of things cosmic contemporary occurrences of every shade and size floods earthquakes wars that changed the geography of the earth the overthrow of cabinets phenomena physical and metaphysical became merged and centred within a circumference that could be measured by inches and she took it all smilingly hardly smilingly though for the bulldog don't stop me i'm in a hurry expression with which she shouldered her way through her errands would have made the himalayas open a tunnel for her having long ago convinced herself that no one could do things half so well as herself she jealously usurped every item of preparation except the most menial tasks in the execution of which she kept a cerberus eye on mrs saffron who had succeeded mrs lipcott as her familiar spirit in ordinary any offers of assistance from sympathetic neighbours "'was gruffly refused as a shameless device "'to put in a claim for an invitation. "'And the affair, and Mrs. Diamond could not repeat it "'sufficiently often for her gratification, "'was to be kept strictly select. "'Of course the one who suffered most severely "'under this order of things was Mr. Diamond. "'He felt as in a city,' under military law. The strictness of regime made him almost afraid to breathe, and smoking had been interdicted as a matter of course. When he came home from work, tired and hungry, his wife set before him, instead of the greatly desired dinner, some novel idea that had struck her during his absence, and on which he had to expend his last remaining strength in mustering up a fictitious admiration he could not sit down without being trodden on he could not stand up without being swept from one room into another and yet any suggestion of his to go across the way was strongly resented because as mrs diamond once told him under great provocation she did not see the reason why she should nigger herself to death while he went about gallivanting or thus she corrected herself in a tenderer moment just after mr diamond had handed her the five-pound note by which she exceeded her original estimate because she wished him to be on the spot at all available times in case there was any occasion to appeal to his judgment and mr diamond swallowed the bare-faced fiction, fervently desiring that it were a plump veal-chop instead. But, although he tremblingly refrained from any attempt at initiative, all mistakes of commission and omission were promptly put down to his account. Thus, for instance, in the midst of an amiable discussion, of course it was really a monologue, on the desirability of engaging a professional pianist for the evening, Mrs. Diamond's brow suddenly contracted with a jerk that made her husband hold tight to his chair. "'And now you've forgotten somebody, Diamond,' she said, eyeing him with disfavour. "'I oh, dare so I have,' said Mr. Diamond, anxiously accommodating. "'But I had an idea that you had thought of everybody we could think of.' "'Then what about the lipcarts?' Quite well, it's right, Becky, my dear. "'It'll be nice for Phil to meet them.' "'Very nice. "'And that's enough reason for you to waste two extra suppers, eh? Oh, "'You clever man. "'Now, listen, the way I look at it is this. "'That boy Lou, who you thought was going to turn out such a blackguard?' "'I thought? "'You thought?' Iterated mrs Diamond and the argument proceeded no further. That boy Lou is going to be someone one of these days, and if we don't get in with him while he isn't, it's a chance lost. Dear, dear, diamond, when will you learn to see further than your nose? So it came that the lipcots were asked to the select affair, and Lou, on being told so by his mother, laughingly declared that they had now received their patent of nobility and the least they could do to show their appreciation of the unexpected compliment was to adopt the invitation card as a coat of arms it always struck mrs diamond regretfully when in after times her memory harked back to the matter that out of the very abundance of her opportunity she had neglected to taste to the fullest the exhilaration of those great days. It seemed to her a shocking waste of good material. For example, she should have thrilled considerably more on seeing in the columns of the Jewish Examiner, she could spell printed matter plainly, among the lists of bridegrooms of the law of the various synagogues the name of Mr. Lazarus Diamond. She remembered having noticed with great satisfaction—but not with sufficiently great satisfaction—that the lengthy nomenclature of Mr. Diamond's synagogue had necessitated a lapping over of the line, which in a way made him stand out distinct and prominent among the other figurants in the list. She blamed herself for not having tried hard enough to imagine how the Mr. would have looked with the addition of an S, by which she would have come within easy distance of realising the great ambition of her life, that of having her name chronicled in the public press. There was, however, one incident which she never divulged, and the memory of which she laboriously thrust from her mind. This was a certain interview with the editor of the above examiner, in the course of which she had suggested that a reporter should be lodged in her house for the day in order to take full and accurate notes of the proceedings to which suggestion the editor had courteously replied that he did not think the occasion of sufficient communal interest but that he would have much pleasure he thoughtfully did not say profit in inserting a home-made account at the usual advertisement rates it was one o'clock in the afternoon of the day of days the warden's box the bouquets the laudatory preamble the procession of the scrolls all the glory and triumphs of the synagogue ceremonial were things of the past mr and mrs diamond were seated at what they anachronistically called breakfast alone the alone implies a bold departure from custom, which only a person of Mrs. Diamond's standing and strength of mind dared permit herself, for she had relegated the spread by which the bridegroom of the law is expected to signalise his office immediately after the morning service to the evening programme, converting into additional prestige for herself an act of prudent economy by the explanation that she had to do it out of compliment to certain high-placed friends of hers who had expressed a strong desire to do her honour by their presence at the function. "'I don't know how you can eat so heartily. I couldn't touch a thing,' said Mrs. Diamond. Oh, "'I'm very sorry, Becky, my dear,' said Mr. Diamond leaving it doubtful whether he was expressing regret at the greatness of his own appetite or the smallness of his wife's not that i say you don't deserve a good breakfast continued the latter you went through it all beautifully thank you becky more dear said mr diamond a little half-heartedly he had hungered for many a day for a word of praise from his wife and now that it had come it sounded as if it were addressed to a performing dog. "'I do hope the evening will go off all right, and the Duvines will come down in their carriage,' remarked Mrs. Diamond with piously folded hands. Mr. Diamond professed to echo the wish by sighing as he loaded another fried sole on his plate. "'Now hurry up with that, because you've got to—you know what?' I'll just go into the kitchen and look after Mrs. Saffron. And Mrs. Diamond swept out of the room with a rustling and a crackling of her new dress of stiff brocade, which gave one the idea that she would momentarily burst into flame. The you-know-what must have been something distinctly unpleasant, for it killed the last vestiges of Mr. Diamond's appetite so completely that— by the time he had half-finished his soul, he fancied he was eating his way through a whale. As a matter of fact, the reference was to the speech which Mr. Diamond had composed at the dictation of his wife, and to the delivery of which, in the evening, he looked forward as the most terrible ordeal of his life. Yesterday he was nearly word-perfect— now he dreaded approaching it again, for fear of finding that the excitement of the morning had unravelled the laboriously stitched seams of his memory. With a groan, the burden of which he divided impartially between his speech, his wife, and his bridegroomship of the law, he walked to the chiffonier, took out the manuscript, and began to zigzag the room in the achieving of his desperate task, and each time he passed the armchair which yawned at him its soft-cushioned enticements, he did not know whether to call himself martyr or mm, hero. An hour later Mrs. Diamond came back and took him in hand for rehearsal. She knew the speech from beginning to end, not only from hearing him read it twelve times, a fact she pointed out to him in proof of what the human mind can do if backed by a little intelligence only she did not put it so nicely mr diamond got on much better than he had expected perhaps because his wife played upon his receptiveness by endearing phrases like diamond if you disgrace me to-night i shall get a divorce about four o'clock a merciful diversion arrived in the shape of Mr. and Mrs. Prager, followed immediately after by Mr. and Mrs. Tannenbaum. Their early appearance was justified in the first place by the intimacy of their acquaintance with the givers of the feast, and secondly by their having obliged with the loan of cutlery and crockery in recompense for which they thought themselves entitled to a fair length of start in the sampling of the good things provided. But perhaps it was only a fit of absent-mindedness that made Mrs. Prager help herself to the almonds and raisins with one hand while untying her bonnet with the other. Mrs. Tannenbaum, however, showed herself possessed of superior method. "'I can see who arranged the table like that, Becky,' she insinuated delicately. Mrs. Diamond accepted the tribute to her artistic instinct with— Becoming silence, while Mrs. Tannenbaum felt herself impelled by the intensity of her admiration to take stock of the individual beauties of the table and to improve her favorable impression of sight by that of taste. Thus she could, in all decency, run the gamut of delicacies from cheesecakes to Spanish olives and back again. "'Now, let me have a good look at you, Becky,' she continued. "'I didn't have a chance of it in the synagogue, because, well, I don't care who knows it, because I simply couldn't take my eyes off your Lazarus.' "'Did you hear that, Mr. Tannenbaum?' exclaimed Mrs. Diamond, skilfully mingling mock indignation and delight in her voice. "'I did, but it's no use her trying. She can't make me jealous,' replied Mr. Tannenbaum, genially my best respects mrs diamond you'll never get me to believe you only paid three and a six a yard for that brocade broke in mrs prager austerely the idea of sadie tannenbaum with her fifty-five years on that dumpy back of hers carrying on a flirtation with her husband over the heads of self-respecting folks may i spend in doctor's bills anything it costs me more "'I must say, though, it was only a remnant,' admitted Mrs. Diamond. "'And the cut of it,' observed Mrs. Tannenbaum, cheerfully ignorant of being credited with a dumpy back, "'it looks—well, it looks for all the world as if it had been photographed on to you.' Mrs. Diamond contemplated with great complaisance as much of herself as her eye could take in. I oh, went so comfortable, too,' she said, "'fancy wearing a dress for the first time "'and feeling as if you had never worn anything else. "'You understand what I mean.' Then her voice fell as she continued, "'But joking apart, my dears, "'I did feel proud of him today. "'I never had an idea. "'He was really such a fine figure of a man.' "'I don't know how it was,' said Mrs. Tannenbaum, "'thoughtfully, but one minute,' "'He reminded me of Tannenbaum, and the next, the Prince of Wales.' "'You don't say so, Sadie!' exclaimed Mrs. Diamond, almost aghast. Mrs. Tannenbaum affirmed that she certainly did say so, and what was more she meant it. Possibly she did, though the possibility dwindled to a mere shadow in the light of certain confidences, exchanged earlier in the day between Mrs Prager and Mrs Tannenbaum. From these it was to be gathered that Mr Diamond's bearing in the warden's box and in the procession was that of a dyspeptic coal-heaver, while Becky's dress was enough to throw the tailing trade of all England into disrepute. Uh, "'How much a quart did you pay for that cherry-brandy, Becky?' asked Mrs Prager innocently never mind as long as it's paid for replied mrs diamond taking the hint and filling three glasses at your house enjoy said mrs tannenbaum to mrs prager to which mrs diamond added and may it be soon and mrs prager sighed and sipped at her glass sighed and sipped again of course she understood the particular drift of the toast. She was the mother of six marriageable daughters, and was likely to remain so. "'Don't fret so much, Julie,' said Mrs. Tannenbaum consolingly. "'Everybody can't have the luck, like myself and Becky, to be mother-in-laws before we got over our surprise at being mothers. You know how scarce young men are.' "'Scarce?' asked mrs prager with a sneer the trouble is there's too many of them that's what makes the girls pick and choose nowadays when we were young we weren't half so hard to please were we sadie speak for yourself if you don't mind replied mrs tannenbaum icily mrs diamond saw it was necessary to pour oil on the troubled waters betimes and then some girls are much too fond of their home to leave it she said my girls certainly have as good a home as they can wish for said mrs prager with dignity perhaps you mean that mine hadn't suggested mrs tannenbaum bridling there mention a tale and the devil thinks you're speaking of his quoted mrs prager uh, will you have something else sadie asked the hostess to change the subject. "'Yes, Becky, I'll have my mantle and bonnet, if you please.' "'Nonsense, Sadie,' ejaculated Mrs. Diamond. "'My mantle and bonnet, if you please,' iterated Mrs. Tannenbaum very loudly, pitching her voice in the direction of her husband. "'Izzy, he? we are going. Don't forget your umbrella like you always do.' "'What's the matter, my darling?' inquired Mr. Tannenbaum, rising in great perturbation, and coming over to the ladies. He hoped sincerely his ears had deceived him. The diamonds were really doing the thing handsomely, threepenny cigars and all. He had made up his mind to stop till he had smoked a dozen of them, and here he was, only half-way through his first, Meanwhile Mrs. Tannenbaum was explaining to him what the matter was. Simultaneously Mrs. Prager did the same to Mr. Prager, and Mrs. Diamond to Mr. Diamond. After that, each of the six turned on the remaining five to put the case from a strictly unprejudiced point of view. And as no one contradicted the other, all considered themselves admittedly in the right, and this effectually smoothed the way for mediation. As a matter of fact, nobody except Mr. Tannenbaum, who was for a moment demoralized by the great issues at stake, had felt the slightest apprehension as to the ultimate outcome of the occurrence, which precedent had shorn of all significance. The only one genuinely affected was the cherry brandy, for having been the primary cause of the collision, it was only right on the homeopathic principle that it should be made to act as peacemaker. The three gentlemen settled back to their discussion, which, after naturally dwelling for some little time on the uncertainty of the feminine temperament, reverted at length to its staple topic—communal politics. "'I'm going to propose at the next committee meeting that the prayer for the royal family should be said all in English,' remarked Mr. Prager, who was notorious for the heterodoxy of his views. "'Why not propose to have an organ in the synagogue? That would make more noise,' replied Mr. Tannenbaum, with overt sarcasm. "'Oh, that the ladies should sit downstairs with the men.' then there would be still more noise added mr diamond hazarding a deeper thrust you may sneer said mr prager not in the least bit disconcerted but i know what i'm talking about you remember of course we had a policeman at the synagogue entrance last night to keep the place from getting too crowded messrs diamond and tannenbaum remembered well, later on in the evening i was standing outside my door when he passes on his round And did you like our services officer i says to him oh, all right he says only what do you want to drag the queen in for and call her names in that breakjaw lingo of yours of course i explained to him that we were praying for her majesty's long life and he answered it didn't sound like it and walks off winking his eye and saying he belonged to the police and not the marines Mr. Prager stopped in order to let his words filter into the minds of his listeners, who were evidently impressed. "'Now, why should we lay ourselves open to a risk like that?' continued Mr. Prager, striking while the iron was hot. "'Instead of getting the credit we deserve for our loyalty, we may find ourselves one fine day add up for our treason.' "'It never struck me the thing would be made to look so serious,' confessed Mr. Diamond, genuinely concerned. "'Nor me,' echoed Mr. Tannenbaum. "'But what is to be done?' went on Mr. Diamond. "'You know the trouble we had to teach our reader "'to say the few words in English. "'Our gracious Majesty took him a week. "'Albert Edward, a fortnight. THE PRINCESS OF WALES, A MONTH, than ALL THE ROYAL FAMILY CAN'T SAY TO THIS DAY. Mr. Prager pretended to give the difficulty his serious consideration. Then he lifted his head high, on the impulse of a sudden idea, as it were. But why should he recite it at all? he inquired. If it comes to that, I don't mind doing it myself. Mr. Diamond exchanged a quick glance with Mr. Chanenbaum there it was, the cloven hoof. Mr. Prager had not been half-subtle enough. It was known that his pet hobby consisted in usurping the functions of the reader on every possible occasion. Unfortunately for him this happened also to be the pet hobby of Mr. Diamond and Mr. Tannenbaum, as well as every member of the congregation. It rose from the aboriginal human instinct to attain to prominence, and the elevation of the reader's desk went some little way towards it. "'In any case, I've been a seat-holder longer than you, so where do you come in?' asked Mr. Diamond. "'And I only wish to remark that I'm senior to both of you,' came from Mr. Tannenbaum. "'Yes, but don't you think I deserve something for the suggestion?' submitted mr prager suavely now what if i hadn't found out from the policeman are you quite sure you didn't dream that policeman broadly hinted mr tannenbaum i beg your pardon tannenbaum remarked mr prager stiffly but colouring up to his ears i oh, didn't mean anything of the sort apologized tannenbaum vaguely only, you know, your memory goes wrong sometimes. How do I know? Well, one weekday at the beginning of this year I came into the synagogue and found you reading prayers because you said it was the anniversary of your mother's death. Three months after you were reading prayers again and again it was your mother's anniversary. I wished you long life and said nothing. A fortnight ago you read again and for the third time it was your mother. Now! Either you've had three mothers, or your one mother died three separate times, which is a thing that doesn't usually happen. You see, all I want to show is that you can't always trust your memory. I don't mean anything else, God forbid.' "'Then in plain English you call me a, a confuddler,' said Mr. Prager, with great apparent self-control. "'There you go again,' replied Mr. Tannenbaum, quite hurt now just to show i don't suspect you in the least i'll call in evidence i say mrs prager did a constable talk to your husband last night at your door certainly not replied mrs prager vehemently indignant at what she considered an aspersion how could he be standing at the door when he was fast asleep on the dining-room couch all evening mr tannenbaum said nothing but turned on mr Prager in smiling inquiry the latter however instead of collapsing returned tannenbaum's glance frankly and unabashed well i'm glad i only dreamt it he said knocking the ash off his cigar i wouldn't have had it happen for all the money in the world julie we must get that couch upholstered it's so hard and skinny that it gave me the nightmare last night. I tell you, Tannenbaum, it's a weight off my mind that we can keep the prayer in Hebrew. Mr. Prager remained master of the difficult situation he had created for himself owing to the arrival of more guests, and once the start had been made, the inflow continued steadily, till the capacious drawing-room, and uh, Mrs. Diamond objected to having it called a parlour, felt it could do with a little bulging. But despite the fact Mrs. Diamond endeavoured to keep a tolerably free space near the top of the table, in which endeavour she was loyally assisted by Mrs. Prager and Mrs. Tannenbaum, who were only glad of an opportunity to display their authority as second-in-command. The arrivals which, for the time being, attracted the most attention were Mrs. Lipcott and Lou mrs tannenbaum and mrs prager had thought it worth quite a long consultation on the attitude to be adopted towards one who though originally of equal standing had for years occupied a menial and subordinate position and they had decided on a bearing which was to be affable and courteous yet containing a dash of patronage and condescension but somehow the sight of her stalwart and self-possessed son Robbed them of the courage of acting up to their intention, and the effusive greeting which Mrs. Lipcott met with from them made her face and heart glow with the comforting assurance of having come into her own again. End of Chapter 18. Part One.